This is Knowing Faith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, Jen? What's up, JT? Just happy to be back. How about you, JT? Hanging out with you guys is so, so fun. So uh, fun. For the listeners, we just got to spend some time in person together for the yeah. first time in a long yeah, time. Awesome. And I was worried it was going to make me like you guys less, but I like you guys more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, give it time, JT. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, but yeah. it was so, so sweet getting yeah. some time together yeah. in person. Yeah, it, was it really, really was. Great. It really was. I forgot um, I forgot how much you like doing jump scares. I wasn't at your yeah, house for 15 minutes, and I walked out to my car to get something and came back, and you jumped out from behind did, a wall. Did I do that? Yeah. Oh, I mean, listen. it didn't get me that bad, but you did it. I don't so remember that. The other thing was that Thomas English, <laughs> I was in the kitchen. I was bending over, getting something out of my bag, and he <laughs> jumped out at me and shrieked like in my right ear. I had a ringing in my right ear for the rest of the night. I'm like, oh, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, hey, hey that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> Train up a child in the way they should go. Yeah. You're like, I think I, think I know where this started. Um, a moment that I will never forget that Kyle reminded me of yesterday was so Jen and Kyle were at our church this week here here in Arvada to help do a, like a commissioning installation yeah. thing. We do like a pre-service gathering that Thomas came to and he was sitting there and Kyle, why don't you tell the story? Because Kyle Kyle's told it yesterday. So cute. <laughs> yeah, so like uh, JT's like walking through the order of service and he's he's but before that he's trying to tell everybody like, hey, I'm just really grateful that you're here. It's a really sweet moment. You know, there's a bunch of storyline folks that are there and then there's a bunch of people from Flower Mound and Texas that have come up for it's just a really tender moment and in a pause when JT has said something very sincere Thomas stands up and goes go dad (laughs) I love that kid so much it was awesome he got a big pop from everybody and then I think he realized he got a big pop and he kept doing the go dad thing yeah it turned into a pep rally and I'm like I see what JT's doing here he's 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 training up his own pep squad no hey, doubt. No doubt. Has to. Well, uh, talking about Romans 5, 1 through 10 today. We've been covering the book of Romans, and maybe this is a good time uh, halfway through this season to just kind of tell you, it may feel like if you showed up to this podcast looking for like a Bible study, an inductive <laughs> line by line, you're probably realizing at this yeah. point, oh, this is not that. And it isn't. We all have Bible studies at our church. We believe in Bible study. Um at least one of us does firmly. Um, <laughs> We're not sure what Jen believes. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we're actually all preaching and teaching Romans in our various local churches right now. So if you were looking for like a sermon series on Romans, well, then, you know, this isn't that. Although that's happening at JT's church and and at my church, uh, Storyline of Mosaic. If you were looking for an inductive Bible study on Romans, well, this isn't that either. But that is currently happening at the Village Church Flower Mount. What is this podcast built for? Well, it's built to do high-level conversation and dialogue through books of the Bible. And today, you're going to feel that in a pronounced way because we're going to be jumping into Romans 5, verses 1 through 10. We'll cover those verses today, and on the next episode, we'll cover the rest of Romans 5. And I'll tell you, Romans 5, 1 through 10, there have been hundreds, thousands of pages Mm -hmm. written on these 10 verses, and we're going to cover it in about 30 minutes. So just know, it's not going to be exhaustive, but we hope that it will be helpful. To that end, I'll open us up. I'll read Romans 5, 1 through 10, and then we'll just jump into talking about it. Sound good? Mm Mm-hmm. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 5, 1 through 11. All right. So we jump into this passage. Oh, you cheated. You tacked 11 on the end. I did because I realized that in my notes, I wrote 1 through 10, but we're covering 1 through 11 in this episode. So surprise, surprise. That's Bonus what I first. was going to ask. That was my first question for you. I'm like, why are you busting it up? Everybody's looking at the headings in their Bible wondering what's going on. Exactly. It's bonus verse. It's like the bonus fry at the, the bottom of a McDonald's bag. You know, it's the be- it'll be the best one, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we're going to be talking about justification. So let's just open up here with this. What is justification? Because Martin Luther said justification by faith is the article by which the church stands or falls. So if it's that crucial, and now Luther was prone to overemphasis, I'll say, (laughs) but this is a very crucial doctrine. We can't miss it. What is it? Wait, you don't get to start there, Kyle. Oh, no. Why not? Because we, the, <laughs> the first word in chapter 5, verse 1, is important. Okay. The word is there, therefore. Do, do, do your Jen, thing. What's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> Thanks, JT. I'm so glad you asked. Also, oh, I'd just gosh. like to point out, this is not a room full of people who's ever prone to overemphasis of anything. Uh, so, so basically... Why are we even talking about justification by faith here? It's because we just had a conversation about Abraham believing and being credited to him as righteousness. And so now Paul is pulling that idea forward to you and me. He's saying, hey, Mm -hmm. this is how it worked for Abraham. And there's an implication of that that all of us as believers need to understand. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. Doctrine of justification. There we go. Yeah, doctrine of justification. And it's crucial, right, because Paul has introduced it in four as the solution to the problems of chapters one through three. Right, right, right. Like, listen, things are really bad. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. Okay, well, hold on. Because in Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul has said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Remember, we talked about this as the thesis statement. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Yeah. But in Romans 3, we're told no one is righteous. No one is living by faith. Womp, womp. So it's like, okay, well, in 4, he starts talking about Abraham to give us a sense of, okay, justification and righteousness by faith preceded the ministry of Christ. And in chapter five, verse one, he starts to talk in a really focused way about justification. Yeah. So JT, if you were going to just, if you were going to open us up on the doctrine of justification, just give us a working, we'll probably punch this up as we go, but give us just a working baseline for justification. 
I think, and I'll even just try to do what Jen just did, go back a little bit to chapter four. It's to have God's righteousness accounted to us. Mm -hmm. That's what it says about Abraham in verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So to be justified by faith is to have the righteousness of God credited to us. So because of what Jesus has done on the cross, our sin was accounted to him and his righteousness is accounted to us. So there's some controversy to use this language, but I, uh, at least in some academic circles, but I believe it wholeheartedly. Another term that we could use here is imputation, that Jesus's righteousness has been imputed or given or granted to us through our faith in his lordship. Mm-hmm. There you go. Now, you said it's controversial. Why? Like it's controversial between the three of us? No. It's controversial like at storyline? No. In some in some academic circles and kind of Christian theological, in the, the kind of the academic world, imputation specifically has been, and this is, a, this is Luther. I mean, this is the Reformation. Some scholars have said that imputation takes it too far, and it's more of a, some have said an impartation. Others mm-hmm. have even said that justification is not imputation or impartation, and it's actually not vertical at all. And I don't know what they do here with chapter 5 verses one and two. I mean, they're claiming that justification is primarily vertical. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. They're defining Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. justification through a vertical relationship. And they're actually saying justification, and they're not entirely wrong here, is actually a horizontal thing of Jew-Gentile relationships entering into this relationship through what Jesus has done, which makes them the one new man and the one new church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really, you nailed that summation. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's really. I mean, just so you know, I would totally it's a very te- hire you. Yeah, it's a it's a very technical conversation. Uh, that was a really good summary. Justification is crucial for us to understand because, again, this is how we are made righteous. And apart from the the gifting and the receiving of this righteousness of God, there can be no fellowship with God. There can be no communion with God. There can be no salvation, and there can be no more peace with God. There, that peace with God cannot exist between righteousness and unrighteousness. And so let's pause here because it's not just that we have been justified. We've been justified by faith, by yeah. faith. The, uh, the old theologian called faith. I love this talking about it. what role does faith play in our salvation? Well, it's the instrument of our salvation. Faith receives everything from the work of Christ and contributes nothing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes theologians will talk about the instrumentality of faith. So this idea of we've been justified by faith, it doesn't mean that faith actualizes something that God could not provide on his own. It means faith is the mechanism God gives us in order for us to be able to receive what God is going to give us through faith. Mm -hmm. So faith is a gift. It's a gift that God gives so that we can receive more of God's gifts, namely the grace of salvation. Does that make sense? Yeah, maybe even to use the language you just used, faith does not actualize something. It's a belief in something that's already been actualized. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good way of saying it. Would you call it more like an affirmation of something that's true? Maybe recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. The, uh, that, belief, that recognition. We've talked about faith before as allegiance. Mm-hmm. Because right. it, we, we want to make sure it, it's certainly an intellectual, like we like it's saying. But it has an uh, activeness to it. Yeah. Yeah. It so like verse 24, it's counted, it will be counted to us who believe. And so there's an, in, uh, that's the, the, the I'm, I'm not looking at my Greek translation. I would imagine the Greek term there is pistis, which is this idea of faith or belief. So there's an, there is intellectual assent, but there's also this wholehearted life orientation now. 
to the mm-hmm. lordship and to the kingship of Jesus, which means we're now his citizens and we give him everything because he's king. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your your copy today. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. So we get a benefit mentioned here immediately after it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the, imp- like, okay, so if we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith and this peace with God comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, what's the implication there that we have peace with God now as a result of what God has done? means that at one time we didn't. I mean, is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah at one time we, we were in, at enmity with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So peace with God is a benefit and peace with God, like the righteousness of God itself is an alien benefit, meaning it doesn't like come from us. It said uh, Calvin called the righteousness of Christ, right? An alien righteousness. Mm-hmm. It's a righteousness mm-hmm. outside of self. It's not something that God merely produces within us by virtue of a co- uh, being conformed into the obedience of Christ. Right. It's something that's given to us and now is the foundation of that obedience that God invites invites us into and peace with God works the same. Peace with God isn't just the feeling that increases in as much as we follow God. Peace with God is a legal and foundational yeah. reality that now is the bedrock. It can, just in the same way that righteousness cannot be removed, peace with God can no longer be removed. There's been a designation change, hmm. a status change. Well, and it's not just that. Um, that that's a beautiful idea in in and of itself, but I think also we've seen Paul continue to make this tight connection between faith and obedience. And what obedience is when we obey God's good law that's given for our good and for um, our our flourishing, we essentially become peacemakers. Like that that is what makes us peacemakers because we we live at peace with others and we are um, living in the law of love, which means you consider neighbor. And so essentially when we receive the gift of faith and it translates into obedience, the peace that God sets upon us, we then become outposts of that peace everywhere that we go. Um, which is, he's kind of, I think he's actually going to be kind of riffing on that as he gets down into the, um, if we were, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled through his death, um, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Like he's, he's pointing to different aspects of our salvation when he's saying that. And I think this is one of them is that peace becomes not just what is granted to us or our status before God, but it becomes the way that we operate in the world around us. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
So having received this peace with God, this is a fundamental change. We've received it as a benefit to justification. We were born at enmity with God. Mm -hmm. We were foes. We were not friends. And that has changed. Moving forward in verse 2, Paul continues, through him, speaking of Christ, we have also obtained access by faith. There's that instrument of faith again into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul now is moving us from what has happened to what is happening, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He's angling our perspective. It's not just we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God now. Now we're rejoicing in hope. So we get the past work of God in our lives, the present implications of that, and now the future hope that we're angled to, which is rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. This phrase, glory of God here, is not just glory as we often use it. It, It's a phrase that probably in other places in the New Testament would be used of the day of the Lord. This mm-hmm. rejoicing and hope of the glory of God is rejoicing and hope of the day of God's coming, the mm-hmm. day of the glory unveiled. Mm-hmm. This is the day of, uh, again, day of the Lord. You might call it the end of the world, the end times. This is an eschatological vision that Paul is pointing to, or an apocalyptic is what maybe what Pauline scholars would prefer to say, an apocalyptic vision for what Paul is saying is that we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that's uniquely true of those who've received righteousness. Why? JT, why are those who have received righteousness uniquely positioned to rejoice in hope of that day because we have an absolute assurance that we will inherit uh not just eternal life in terms of and we talked about this goodness i forget what podcast it was we'll inherit eternal life not just in a in a quantitative sense like a chronological sense but in a qualitative sense that the glory of god is our greatest hope and that we will get to enjoy his mercies his perfections and his excellencies forever and as paul tells us elsewhere that this is an unfading hope like this is not a hope that could be relinquished in some sense and the reason it's unfading is because we did nothing to earn it and we could do nothing Mm -hmm. to lose it that we've been Mm -hmm. sealed with the promises of god by the holy spirit of what's been accomplished for us through the work of christ it's now ours and that is a hope maybe to lead us into verse three a little bit, that also can endure sufferings. Like I love one of the things that Paul is doing here is he's saying, you have this unfading hope that's yours in Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. But it's not like this cheesy Christian victory, you know, everything's fine. Paul also gives us a real picture that this hope is what leads us through sufferings. And so in verses three and following, he says, not only do we rejoice in this hope, verse two, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And that for me has been one of those, like it's not like my life verse, I'm not putting that mm-hmm. on like a coffee mug, but mm-hmm. man, in the dark nights of the soul, when life is hard, challenging, difficult, it's a it's a real, um, it's a picture of the real Christian life that not only do we rejoice in hope, but rejoice in our sufferings. And then he goes on to say, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope. And I've, I've actually preached on this passage before. And as I've studied it, I just realized in a way that I wish wasn't true, if I'm being honest, I, I, I wish this wasn't true. Uh, suffering is what produces the muscle of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, that as you suffer, it, you know, if, if you, if you don't suffer, your faith deteriorates in a way, not, mm-hmm. not that you're not that the hope deteriorates, but you've nothing to believe upon. But if mm-hmm. you've walked through a season of suffering before you realize, oh my goodness, this is creating a spiritual muscle in me that, that I need, that I need to, that I need to grow in. And that's what Paul's talking about here. 
because this hope will never put us to shame. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I want to even not move us away from the text for a second, but has there ever been like a, a personal story for you guys or a season of life where you realized, goodness, I, I have this hope that's unfading. I'm also walking through a season of suffering and it's producing something in me um, that that perhaps I didn't have before this suffering came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I've talked a little bit on here just about some of the unique circumstances of my life and home. Um, and there have certainly been times where uh, there have been some unique times, days, where just was the world felt really scary and mm-hmm. very dangerous because of just some of the conditions that at work in my home. And uh, in terms of just like health conditions and things like that. And, you know, I think that there have been times where it's felt like there's no assurance outside of the fact that heaven is going to heal the hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's just like, it doesn't matter what, there's no consolation. Mm-hmm. There's no comfort that seems to satisfy the fear or the hurt. And I think a lot of times I spend a lot of energy trying to find uh, what that healing or comfort will be uh, in the midst of the hurting. And yet there isn't one Mm -hmm. except for the hope of heaven Mm -hmm. that one day there's a day coming where these hurts will be healed forever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I I think that's that's tough. Um, It's tough to believe and it's tough to hold on to. Um, you know, that old, uh, that old song, I don't know who sang it. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Uh, when you're in the midst of a broken world and you're living with discontentment, you feel like, man, I really want heaven, but I really want it on my terms and I want it Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to cultivate that holy discontentment. Well, and I think too, that we run the risk of, um, instead of having steadfastness, um, we have an escapist mentality of how much long, you know, it's the how many more minutes thing that the kids do on a road trip. Like when we would take road trips, I'd always be like, nature moment, everybody look out the window. And they're thinking how many more minutes. And I do think steadfastness is about, you know, what, what is, what is there for me here? And now, um, it's not just white knuckling, right? It's like, okay, I'm here and there's something to be gained from this. It's not Mm -hmm. just things that are being lost. And I look at what Paul is doing here. He does it in verses one and two, and then he does it again in three, four, and five. He points back to the peace we have in Christ. And then he says, so now we have this grace, you know, in the present. And then he says, then we're going to have glory in the future, right? So that's that's justification, sanctification, and glorification right there in those verses. And then he says, not only that, not only do we have that hope in the future, but we rejoice in our sufferings, our current sufferings, right? Because this is what they're doing. So he moves from future to present. And then at the very end, he says, um, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he points to the past. So he, he, he basically goes past, present, future, and then he backs out future, present, past. And I, mm-hmm. I'm probably trying to find a chiasm again because it's just how I am. <laughs> but but the, the point being, you're covered. You're completely covered. And, and the believers inhabit the presence um, the way that steadfastness is developed is by looking back toward God's faithfulness in the past and mm-hmm. looking forward with certain certainty and hope in, yeah. in what will happen in the future. That's how I believe steadfastness comes about in the life of the believer. It is not by looking at the present and saying, why is this not looking the way that I expect it to? That's good. And he moves us out of this passage, the winding roads of the valley of the shadow of death and suffering. And then in verse six, 
we get a further reminder or a telling or a proclamation that even in our lowest moments, God is moving towards us with redemption. I mean, mm-hmm. verse six, for while we were still weak, he's just talked about suffering. Mm-hmm. He's just talked about frailty. He's just talked about how we need to be made righteous and we can't be made righteous on our own. Mm-hmm. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This, there's a, this is one verse, but man, it is incredibly dense it begins with while we were still weak. I mean, this is what Mm -hmm. Paul has been trying to get the church to see. The Jewish Christians, you did not earn this. You did not deserve this. Uh, The salvation of of Christ is not the fruit of your strength and fortitude. Mm -hmm. Gentile Christians, you were lost. You had not been given the law. You were not given the oracles of God before anyone else. Like no, you know, like you did not know what you should be looking for. No one was righteous. No, not one. But while you were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And he, it's almost like Paul is like, he, he then engages in a little bit of moral reasoning to show them the surprise of it. And I think this is important to note again in the context. Um, what Paul does in verse seven is actually really, really interesting because the Roman citizens and these Jewish and Gentile Christians living in Rome, they would have been well acquainted with the concept of an honorable death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would have been well acquainted with the concept of of an honorable death. Right. And so this idea of Christ dying at the right time for the weak and ungodly would immediately have struck them as not an honorable death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then in verse seven, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So Paul's saying, uh, incredibly, uh, even those who will die honorable death, those people are rare. Mm-hmm. That's rare that somebody would die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might consider it, right? So he's acknowledging there are heroes among us. There are those who die honorable deaths, but, and then he puts it in contrast, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in an honor-shame culture, Paul is basically telling the church in Rome, honorable deaths are rare, where Mm -hmm. somebody who is good and honorable will die on the behalf of another. This Christ is so good, so honorable, so righteous that he will die for somebody who doesn't even deserve it. Mm -hmm. That is a, the the Roman citizens would have heard that and it would have been category breaking for. Yeah. I was going to say for his Jewish listeners, they're thinking, oh yeah, it's so great that Christ died for all of those um, Greeks and barbarians, right? right? Yeah. And yet what he does, he's got (laughs) these, because verse six and verse eight are, are, are closely parallel to one another. In verse six, Mm -hmm. he says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, at which point the Jew is going to be like, oh, right, right, right. Those guys. But then when he comes back to it in verse eight, he says, while we were still sinners. So now the nature of our weakness is is connected to our sinfulness. And it says Christ died for us. And so yeah. now the the understanding is, oh, you know who the ungodly is? It's not the guy sitting next to you. It's yeah. everyone sitting here listening to this letter being read. And so I think he's doing some pretty shrewd things. He's pulling together both his Gentile audience and his Jewish audience under the same um, yep. banner of ungodly so mm-hmm. that the gospel can be more beautiful to them. And I think it's also significant that he, after he talks about hope and endurance and all of that, and he's, he made this statement in verse five, he says, hope does not put us to shame. And when I heard that, I immediately thought of one sixteen and 17, the thesis statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In other words, my suffering is not a source of shame to me because it's actually pointing toward the truth of the gospel. 
And so he, 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 he circles back to the idea of shame and then he immediately picks up in verses six through eight with, here's the gospel again, everybody. Like yeah, this is, is the thing that is, that, that is the antidote for any shame you might feel about what you might be enduring. I didn't catch that callback there to first is 16 and 17 in Romans one. That's good. That's a good connection. Have you preached that yet? I have. So oh, no, man, bummer. Roasted. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mosaic people, if you're listening to it, uh, that was uh, that was in the sermon. I just cut it out. Yeah, <laughs> just believe me. I mean, something just to maybe just to because that is just so rich, Jen. Uh, that I, I, this passage is just stunning, and I think it's just like if let's just slow down for a second and ask mm-hmm. this question: What is the kind of person Christ dies for? Yeah, it's weak, ungodly sinners and then we haven't gotten here yet verse 10 enemies enemies yeah that's those that's the kind of person that jesus came to save and so when you find yourself weak ungodly in sin and at enmity with god you might think you're in the worst place in the world and in some sense you are but by faith in christ you can verse 11 be reconciled to him Uh, he has come to purchase you back and to buy you back Mm -hmm. and just like we discussed in verse three, four, and five, is that that is the that is the justification, sanctification, and glorification of the Christian life, that wherever you are mm-hmm. in that journey, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you are, you are, you're knowingly not a Christian, but you are, are trying to learn about what the gospel is. The reality is, is you are not strong, but weak. You are not godly, but ungodly. You are not righteous, but a sinner. You are not at peace with God, but an enemy. But through faith, we can experience reconciliation. Christian, if that's you, then look back at who you were so that you can rejoice in who God Mm -hmm. is making you to be and who he's calling you to be in this walk towards holiness, that you have experienced reconciliation with God through Christ. That's good. That's good, JT. You haven't preached this yet, have you? No, I actually... He's getting ready for it, though. He's getting ready. I'm Romans 1 uh, this week. Romans 1, 1 to 7. Here we go. There we go. I do want to land us with this idea, this question, okay? We, we can't cover these last few verses in depth, and, um, but I do want to an- end with this one. We see a phrase that's used here twice in verse, uh, well, there, it's used once in verse 9, once in verse 10. Uh, yeah, once in verse 9, once in verse 6, excuse me. So, shall we be saved? Mm-hmm. So, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be Mm -hmm. saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Hold Mm -hmm. on. Paul's talking, he's already talked to them like they have been saved. Now he's saying, we shall we be saved. So, like, there's this future work. So, let me just ask this question. Am I saved or will I be saved? Oh, I know you want me to answer this one, right? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you. And then JT and I will tell you why you're wrong. Okay, sweet. Uh, so, yeah, when we are justified uh, by the blood of Christ, we are saved from sin's penalty. As we are being sanctified, we are being saved from sin's power. And when we are glorified, we are finally and fully saved from sin's presence. So yes, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Praise the Lord. Write that down. You just said you were going to disagree with her. So I'm I'm not going to disagree. disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I I, I knew she would get it right. I did not think she would say it as well as she did. I was going to quibble with something, but I can't. So I've got to tell you the biggest mistake that you've made is to preach through Romans before talking about it with Jen. I know. (laughs) No, that's not true. You guys all know that like 
JT and Kyle are so happy because they know that when we were in Genesis, I was oh, like, man. bring it on. And in Romans, I'm like, <laughs> I'll just sit here and listen. So it's a dare. Every time they ask me a question about Romans, it's a dare more than it's inviting me in. All right. So one, one more time, I want to hear it. Justification. We mm-hmm. have been saved from sin's penalty. Mm-hmm. Sanctification. Sanctification. We are being saved by, from sin's power. That's right. So in other words, before sin had total power over us, we always said yes to sin. Now we, by grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, as Paul has actually already talked about, we have the capacity to say no to sin. So we're being delivered from its power. Um, From the point of your justification to the point of your death or when Christ returns, whichever one issues you into glory and glorification, that is your state. And then glorification is the third P, saved from sin's presence. Okay, that guys, that's for for a free podcast. That's worth the price of admission, <laughs> right, right there. Um, that and, triple uh, what P I, sweetness. Absolutely, I would really encourage you to write that down and reflect on that. This has been fun talking about Romans five one through eleven today. In our next episode, we'll talk about life in Adam and life in Christ in Romans five verses twelve through twenty one. Um, there have been a lot of people who have asked us about show notes and about resources. If you go to trainingthechurch.com, at the very top, there is a little tab. It says podcast. Underneath it, it will say knowing faith, episode show notes, resources. If you click on episode show notes, you can search through all of our topics, all of our guests, all of our show notes. That is a tremendous resource for you. If you go underneath episode show notes and click on resources, it's going to take you to an Amazon shop where we have organized every book we have ever recommended in any episode of Knowing Faith by season. Thank you, show note Katie, for doing that for us. She <laughs> Keeps us honest. And uh, the show notes have finally come into being. Uh, and uh, we are very grateful to have them. So if you're looking for show notes, if you're looking for resources, you can find them at trainthechurch.com under podcast, episode show notes, and resources. I would encourage you to check those out. If you're looking for us on social media, you can find us Knowing Faith Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you haven't already, go check out our new podcast, The Family Discipleship Podcast. JT and I just got to be on there. Uh, and so that episode has either just come out or is coming out in the near future and would encourage you to check that out. I think Miss Jen, Jen Watkins is on there as well. Jan for, did do an episode. That's okay, right. Jan. Super fun. Yeah. And so uh, go check out Family Discipleship Podcast. We would love for you to give them some love. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace.